He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here with the number one show at 5 o'clock. And uh, we are a TriCast we are on uh, AM 970, The Answer. We're on WABC 770 and WLIR. And in the studio with us today is two common sense individuals, a common sense Democrat, Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, a common sense uh, Republican, former deputy mayor for Rudy Giuliani. We have uh, Rudy Washington. Rudy Washington. And my sidekick, <laughs> Lydia Serrani, keep, keeps kicking me and uh, uh what kind of show? We have a great show again today. We're going to have Ambassador John Bolton. He's going to give us the latest on Ukraine. There's a disturbing story out that two people that were there trying to do some peace negotiations in Russia may have been poisoned, peeling skin. Oh, it's, you got to hear this story. Then Ilya Shapiro, he's a constitutional law expert. He's going to be talking to us about censorship. We'll also be hearing from Benny Basio. He's the president of the Corrections Officers Benevolent Association. Basically, they want to put Rikers, little, little island jail all throughout New York City. But right now, our number one guest on the line we have is Bill O'Reilly. He is an, a prolific author. Killing the Killers is his latest series. And he's just, what, sold oh, just about 19 million books, a journalist, a historian. Welcome back to Cats at Night. It's Monday. Bill O'Reilly. Hey, guys. How are you all doing today? Well, it's Monday, and we're, we're hoping for a good week. Yeah, it got to warm up, though. What is this, John? Come on. Well, I'm selling, I'm selling more heating oil. What is this? I need to sell some heating oil, I saw flurries. Oh, my God. Hey, look, I want the global warming. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> as, as your friend said uh, the other day, he says, uh, we're worrying about global warming. The, the, uh, the ocean is guaranteed the ocean is going to rise at least a quarter inch the next 100 years. Meanwhile, we might be out of business by then. Well, I'm a surfer, so I, I, that's good for me. But I have never in my entire life living around New York um, had this kind of cold at the end of March. I mean, it's insane out here. It is cold. It is cold. So tell us what's on your mind today. Well, I think the Hollywood uh, story is interesting. Um, so the smackdown between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Was it true or fake? Uh, true story. No, it's not fake. Um, there's no percentage for a guy like Will Smith because he's at the top of the game in Hollywood. He's making a lot of money, gets good parts, but the guy's wound tight. So I mean, the bigger story here is the disintegration of the entertainment industry. And in Hollywood, and I executive produced four movies, um, Killing Kennedy, Killing Lincoln, Killing Jesus, and Killing Reagan. I know the world. And it's shrinking fast. The PC woke people have killed it, and everyone is worried about their career. Their salaries are going down. This includes television, not only movies. The technology is such that you don't have to go to the theater anymore. You can watch all the movies in your house on streaming. That brings down the paychecks and the job opportunities. But Smith, he's above all that. And um, when Rock made the joke, and, you know, G.I. Jane, that movie's 25 years old. Nobody even got the joke, okay? And when you look at the tape, uh, Will Smith actually grins at the joke, but his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, is not happy. 
So then about a minute later, he... Maybe not everybody knows what happened last night, and we should just give a a brief 30-second... Chris Rock is is a comedian, and in New York, he he lives here. Uh, People know him. And he's a wise guy, wise guy comedian, but nothing wrong with him. I mean, he's he's been around forever. That's his job. Yeah, 57 years old, been around forever, and he given out the free award, which is a come down for a guy who actually hosted the Academy Awards twice. Chris Rock did. So he's up there, and he's making the most of his little celebrity moment, and he's he's giving people jazz in the audience, which they all do. They all do. And then he singles out uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, who has alopecia, and she doesn't have any hair on her head, and says she can star in this dopey movie, G.I. Jane, where Demi Moore had no hair on her head because she was a naval recruit. That's it. So he, he launches this joke, wasn't particularly funny, and she got mad, and then a minute later, the husband, Will Smith, runs up and smacks um, Chris Rock in the head, in the face. It was an amazing display of um, lack of self-control. Was, wait, was when when uh, Will was walking back, did he have a smirk or a smile on his face? He did not. He was no, he was mad. He was angry. But I think it's the wife, basically, because he heard the joke, and his initial reaction to the joke was a smirk or a smile. But then she didn't like it. You could see she did not like it. And and Rock could see she did not like it. So he went up, and then not only did he smack, then he started yelling the F word, which went out everywhere. And so the audience is stunned. So I talked to a friend of mine just before I got on this program because I figured you guys would want to talk about this. And the guy's a longtime screenwriter in Hollywood. And I said, well, you know, what was behind the scenes? And he goes, look, there's nobody in charge of the Academy Award program any longer. All right. They just get the people in there and they run the show. Disney owns it. It's ABC. But there's nobody there. I mean, that's doing crowd control or, you know, a guy can run out of the audience and run up on stage. Is nobody there? Nobody. So, um, and then the reaction afterward was embarrassment. They're all embarrassed because this is not flattering to America. And that's what I say tonight on Common Sense at 9 o'clock on WABC. you got to understand the entertainment industry is our, the United States' main export as far as how people perceive us. This goes out everywhere, and they're going, what, what is going on in, in America when this kind of lack of self-control? Now, it's two black men, so there's not going to be a racial component, but you could imagine if it were a white and a black man who were involved in this. Oh, whoa. Um, that yeah, there was some other discussion that unless uh, uh, you had in the movie – uh, uh, or you had a a woke person or person or a LB, LBG whatever person, and uh, if you don't have certain criteria in the movie, then you're not eligible for the. You won't uh, get your script made. Yes, or you won't get the Oscar. No, it's absolutely right, and that's destroying. The whole entertainment industry, not only in the entertainment industry, but the late night shows. Johnny Carson used to be the, you know, got nine, ten million people to watch him. These people are lucky if they get a million and a half viewers now because they're woke and they attack the traditional Americans. And the best example is the Academy Awards opens last night. Again, I didn't watch it, but I had my people do it, (laughs) 
good to have people. Did he open up with slaughtering the uh, don't say gay law in Florida? This is how they open. Did they virtue signal? Oh, no, we're so enlightened. Now, the don't say gay law was signed today into law by the governor DeSantis in Florida. But it shouldn't be the don't say gay law. It should be named. We don't want indoctrination of our children law, especially when they're ages five to nine. That's the name of the law. If you look at it, what it is, they're just saying between the ages of five to nine, we're not going to have discussions about LBGT stuff. That's because a, they can't process it. The kids can't process it. And the parents don't want their kids indoctrinated. And, and forcing the kids to do it, that's wrong. And it's the parades. They even have LGBTQ plus one, two, three, whatever parades throughout the school. And the kids don't even know what they're they cheering what about. They, my, my line is that if you have a five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid, they can't process spaghetti. My kid can't even right? wipe her they butt properly. Come on. <laughs> So if you read the law, the law is protecting young children from material they can't possibly understand. I said that every state should pass an anti-bullying law. And because that is really the crux of the matter in public schools, you want to try to eliminate that. And that's a good indoctrination that you don't hurt another person because that person may be different from you. So let's have those classes. Let's teach anti-bullying. Does that how make about, sense to how about, a, how about a law where the teachers or other school officials aren't allowed to talk about their political ideology, whether it be right, left, or whatever? I There was a school recently that they were slamming President Biden. How about neither? How about don't talk about that with, with yeah, children until eighth grade? Under, yeah, you need world free. history. I know, but yeah, until yeah. like maybe fifth, sixth grade yeah. social studies, I don't want to hear about your political ideology. We can talk about politics, but I don't want to hear well, what you have to say. We're going to get to that, but before we go off the the uh, the subject we're on now, uh, former Deputy Mayor uh, Rudy Washington, any, um, any opinion on this? Well, I'm going back to what Bill opened up with. Um, uh, Bill, uh, we haven't met, but I'm African-American, and I've read about 75% of your books. Thank you. Uh, um, within the black community, now I haven't watched the Oscars in, I don't know, 15, 20 years. <laughs> um but when I got the phone call, I went and flipped real fast. <laughs> and it's a split decision within the black community on Will Smith did the right thing. And yeah, you, have just... to, you have to defend your wife. Exactly. You that's, have to defend your wife, my opinion. And I would have hit the guy a lot harder. And... <laughs> but, John, you know what <laughs> no, they call you, that? I they call it a... I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> oh, I I you, have to, you can defend your wife. Hmm. And you can have a press conference afterward. Did you go up and smack didn't, somebody? Didn't Chris, didn't Chris uh, uh, say also that they have an open marriage and he goes out whoever he wants to and she goes out but to whoever he wants that. to? They said that. They make a big deal out of that. They're the tabloid couple. Every time well, they, they go did out, Chris and do say, anything, "I look forward to seeing you." In other words, in the, yeah, but say, come on, just saying look. that I want to be next on your list to be in bed with you. I think I think there's two central points for every American, no matter what color you are. You don't hit another person. Sometimes they deserve okay. it. Okay. No way. Right? Okay. I mean, sometimes you, don't do you that. need to. Uh, well, it's Bill. called a bitch slap. You gotta it, feel like there are other ways. There are other ways to do it, unless Bill. you're defending yourself. If you had the opportunity out. to smack Putin, you wouldn't do it. No. I'm not going to hit. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't, no, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't he get poisoned. 
Listen, we like the water. We don't want him poisoned. In the basement, but I wouldn't smack. Listen, him. violence is wrong. Nobody's condoning yes, the violence. Do, However, we, we can that. understand it. Wasn't violent. You only do is slap him. No, uh, it's violent. No, it's violent. It's violent. It's violent. It's violent. However, I understand no, the outrage. Judge. Let's judge. Okay. Is that okay. assault, Judge? Yeah. All right. It's very simple. I agree with Bill. It's violence. It doesn't belong on a national, international stage. It's the image of, of America uh, criminally. It's an assault. It's a wrong now, thing it, to do. Is he going to it, be viola- it violated the course of the, the course of conduct rules of the academy. Raises a real question whether he should be allowed to keep his academy award. It was just a wrong thing to do. I and- wouldn't punish him. Look, I know Smith, um, and and. He's not a bad guy, and he's extremely talented. All this should we should just learn a lesson from this. Number one lesson: all these people in Hollywood are under enormous pressure because their their whole industry is dissolving before their eyes. And number two, this is not conflict resolution. Okay, this is not how we solve conflict. If Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith were offended by that, and they say, "Listen." We have alopecia in play here. A lot of Americans have it. We don't want them to be made fun of. They would have walked away from this with real virtue signaling, would they not? I agree. Yes. If they had gotten up and now, walked out. It would is have been it we get off the, uh, the, the uh, Oscar culture, uh, I, haven't, I have a question, and Bill probably knows the answer. How many of the movies that won were paid by China? I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I the only movie in the whole crew. I think they nominated ten for best picture. That I want to see is Belfast because obviously I'm Irish and Branagh did a nice job with that, and I'm going to watch that. But the dog movie where there are guys walking around topless in the old west. I, I I'm sorry, I don't have a lot of interest in that. The movie that won is an interesting film, Coda, which is, you know, dealing with a deaf family. And I like all of those concepts, but I'm a busy guy. And, uh, you know, the last movie I went to see was James Bond in a theater. That was the last movie. And that was, what, way back in the fall, right? And then now James Bond is woke. Do I really want to see a woke James Bond? No way. No, no I want to see way. Sean Connery going in and getting his martini and this nice looking woman like Sean. That's okay with me. He doesn't have to be woke. But they've ruined it out there. And I think that Smith, something's bothering Smith. Something is bothering the man to do that. Because well, that, his wife broke his whoa. chops about it. What? His wife broke his chops. Possible? Yeah, she said to him, aren't you going to defend me? That, something like that. Absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. Judging from the tape right after that. And Chris Rock, I mean, Chris, just get better material. You know what I mean? That wasn't even a good joke. Yeah. Is, is it over, uh, Bill? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. over. It's over. It's over. I mean, look, we got important things. You got Bolton on about Ukraine and no, all tell that. Us, I, mean, I want to hear your opinion, story. what's going on. Let's move on to the next subject. Then I want to tell everybody that you're on every night, Monday through Friday, at 9 o'clock on WABC Radio, uh, radio.com worldwide, and also on BillOReilly.com, also on AM uh, 770 on the AM dial in the whole East Coast, because it's wow. after 9 o'clock is after dark. We go from the tip of Florida to uh, northern Canada all the way to northern Europe. 
But, I think that might be too much, O'Reilly. But uh, too much on O'Reilly. the Ukraine front, look. Yes, tell us what, what else. What Biden like to said about Putin is right. You got to get rid of Putin. But the problem is that they want the shooting to stop. And the more you threaten Putin, the more you make it uh, more difficult for Putin to come up with any kind of ceasefire. And all the allies in Europe, when Biden said that in Poland, said, whoa, don't say that. We just want it to stop. We'll take care of Putin later. So Putin, right now, the Russian economy has been set back 15 years, according to the uh, economists that I trust. 15 years. He's destroyed the infrastructure of his own country for no reason at all. So I assume the Russians are going to take care of Putin. So Biden, who has no control over his thought process at all, and that's really the crux of this whole story, says we got to get rid of this guy. And then an hour later, his own secretary of state, Blinken, comes out and goes, no, 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 no. We don't, we're not saying we have to have regime change. Well, what's that? Of course he's saying you have to have regime change. Another embarrassment for the United States. And all of the EU countries are going, what the deuce is going on here? Because Biden cannot grasp the big picture of anything. He destroyed the economics here in America. The border is worse than it's ever been in the entire history of this country. Inflation is roaring ahead at almost 10%. This guy has no blanking clue what he's doing, Biden. You're 100% right. Well, Bill O'Reilly, I'm going to be listening to you at 9 o'clock tonight. I urge all our listeners to tune in to Bill O'Reilly at, uh, like I said, Worldwide I love being on WABC, and I just hope Will Smith doesn't go after Biden. I really don't <laughs> want him to do that. <laughs> Thanks for having Thank me you. in, guys. Let's take a break, and when we come back. We have Ilya Shapiro. Constitu- what is he going to talk about? Censorship. Ah, mm-hmm. more censorship. Let's take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. We now have our next esteemed guest on the line, Ilya Shapiro. He is a constitutional expert. Welcome to Cats at Night, sir. Good to be with you. And now, you wrote a, a paper on... Uh, an incident that happened uh, at uh, in what was it? University, University of California University at Hastings California. Law School. Tell us about it. Sure. Um, so, um, I was about to in, in January. I was about to start a new job at Georgetown University Law School, leaving the Cato Institute, where I spent nearly fifteen years running their constitutional center. And um, my subject area, among others, is the Supreme Court nomination battles. I wrote a book called. Supreme Disorder, Judicial Nominations in the Politics of America's Highest Court, which is coming out in paperback this summer, actually. Um, when Justice Breyer re- uh, uh, announced his retirement or when, when the, the news that he would be retiring leaked, uh, I was doing media that day. I was, I was traveling on business in, in Austin, Texas. And uh, late that night, uh, I was upset that, that President Biden was limiting his um, uh, pool of candidates by race and gender, that it, it was going to be a black woman, he said. And I was upset about that, so I, I uh, tweeted right before going to bed, terrible idea, uh, poorly phrased tweet. In the morning, things kind of blew up with an online outrage mob and what have you. Um, fast forward, um, 
I'm, I'm and on you the recanted that, isn't that correct? They, what's that? And you recanted that. You apologized for it and you recanted it. I did. I did. Right. I apologize for the poor phrasing, not for the underlying. Right, exactly. I, I don't like racial discrimination. Uh, but uh, anyway, Georgetown onboarded me, but then placed me on leave. I've been on paid leave ever since now in week nine of purgatory. Uh, but because of this, uh, quote unquote, scandal, uh, as I've been doing, I, actually, I've been doing a lot of public events, but one particular one at UC Hastings Law, as you said, earlier this month, March 1st, I was protested. I've never been protested before. I, as I wrote in the Wall Street Journal last week, I've done over a thousand public speaking events in my career, never been protested. But here, students not just protested me, but shut the event down. They pounded tables, they chanted, they yelled obscenities. Sometimes they physically got in my face. Uh, and for the entire hour that the event was going on, uh, was supposed to be going on, uh, it, it did not. There was just this, this obstruction, this, this disruption. And uh, this is now a trend. Uh, a similar thing happened at Yale Law School the week after that. Last week, there was a protest at University of Michigan Law School where apparently the event happened, but the speakers were blocked and interfered with in various ways. So this is, again, not college campuses. This is law schools and, and elite law schools uh, at that. So this is not a good thing. Now, because of all this course. incidents, you did not get your job at Georgetown. Is that what you're saying? He's on, he's on paid leave. No, I'm, I'm, I'm currently, he's I'm, on I, I am employed. I'm on board, but I'm, I'm on leave. I'm administrative leave pending investigation into whether my tweet violates the university's policy on anti-discrimination and harassment. Never mind that it's protected by the free expression policy. But uh, anyway, it's been, it's well, it happened, it happened to me. I was on on the board of one of the colleges or one of the schools at the new school, and Bob Kerry, who was the chancellor, was a good friend of mine, and me and Bob were hosting a um, uh, a book party for a mutual friend, uh, Homeland Security uh, director, the first one, uh, uh, Tom Rich, and mm-hmm. there was a few students uh, in the audience. There was about a hundred students students in the audience. And a few of them were just wouldn't allow him to talk. I almost, and this one guy had uh, uh, a, a little machine that, that, like the phone is ringing. I wanted to go over there, pick up the thing, and throw it out the window. You wanted to give him a Chris Rock. I wanted, no, I'm not going to hit him. I don't want to hit anybody. I'm joking, I'm joking. I was going to throw that machine out the window. Meanwhile, so, to put it in perspective, a guy who killed two cops, Jaleel Mintaquemin, formerly known as Anthony Bottom, he's scheduled to deliver a talk at SUNY Brockport on Wednesday, April 6th, and they're calling him a political prisoner. The event is called History of Black Resistance, U.S. Political Prisoners and Genocide, and none of the students are protesting that, yet you... Ilya Shapiro see questioning as to why race and gender should be a qualification, sole qualifications for a Supreme Court justice nominee you're, you're on leave are basically canceled. Otherwise, Georgetown uh, is thinking uh, you're on leave until they decide what to do. He killed two cops and nobody's saying a word. Uh, Mr. Shapiro, um, my name is Rudy Washington. I am African-American. Uh, when back during the campaign, when um uh, he, the president first said that. Uh, I just thought politically, it was it wasn't wise. I mean, he could have just kept his mouth shut and nominate somebody, you know, and right. you know that would have been hundred percent right. Right, and 100%. nobody nobody would have said boo. I think that's Mr. Shapiro's point that oh, you don't you don't have a If I was a if I was a if I was a president, what am I going to say? I'm going to nominate somebody that's that's uh, only Greek American, right? I can't, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you'd be run out of town. You, you, you make me. <laughs> you, 
you articulate that you're going to have the best qualified person, and then you pick whoever you want. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then we could what's, debate what's that. Even kind of another, another amusing wrinkle is that in my original tweet, I said that based on my knowledge of the federal judiciary, I mean, this is my area of expertise, I thought that for a Democratic president, the best choice would be uh, a judge on the D.C. Circuit named Sri Srinivasan. He's an immigrant from India. He's, he, would, he would be the first Asian-American and Indian-American on the Supreme Court. Uh, so it's not that, you know, I, I, I said this other uh, racial minority would be the best pick. Uh, and instead, and, you know, everybody else, black, purple, white or otherwise, would be uh, uh, a less qualified pick. Uh, and nevertheless, this has turned into this kind of but you uh, know, firestorm. You, you know, the reality is, sadly, is this started probably in 2018 with Antifa, uh, especially on the West Coast campuses where they were allowed to get away with, uh, I remember, I can't call the author's name right now, uh, wrote a book, and they did the exact same thing to him. Uh, they ran him off campus, and and if you remember the destruction of throwing things through the window and with no enforcement. So and Antifa predates uh, BLM, Black Lives Matter. Um, they've been doing this, uh, going after people who they don't agree with, and that's not that's not the, the that's university not what you do. system. Right? That's not what you do in a democracy. And by the way, I think Mr. Shapiro raised a, an interesting point and has to do with these were at the Yale situation. There were law students and one of the uh, renowned United States Court of Appeals judges has said that if you're a law student and you engage in this kind of conduct, then you're not qualified to be a law clerk to a federal judge. And I was a law clerk to a federal judge. And I'm telling you, it's a it's a great honor. It's a great responsibility, and you shouldn't be in that kind of position if you're conducting yourself that way. What say you, Mr. Shapiro? Yeah, you know, each judge is going to have to make that decision for him and herself, uh, but that was certainly a shot across the bow. Um, But these administrators, I think, really need to get a grip on this stuff because, you know, this is, uh, you know, student organizations duly reserve and invite speakers and, and protesters not just protest them or ask tough questions that's perfectly reasonable that's what i've gotten in certain other places in my in my career but just shutting down events that is not that's not meeting speech with more speech that's that's shutting down discourse and uh i, I think uh, yeah anyone who who has that kind of behavior i i, I would think twice about hiring them. well thank you mr shapiro for coming on and we have to take a break right now and thank you so much and uh we uh we wish you well. We Good wish luck. you well because we agree with you. And, uh, you know, it's a free country. And uh, I guess the president of the United States could do whatever he wants. But it's stupid to, for him to point it out the way he did it. Thank you so much. Well, and, well my pleasure. Uh, I love your show. and be happy to be on again uh, some later time when, when this situation resolves itself. I, it yeah, keep us good. posted, please. Keep us posted. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to come back. Ambassador John Bolton, the latest on Ukraine. It's getting crazy. John Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Now we have on the line for us Ambassador John Bolton, who can give us the latest on Ukraine. What is happening? There was a recent article that came out in the Wall Street Journal that Roman Abramovich and a Ukrainian peace negotiator, they suffered some severe poisoning. Ambassador Bolton, what the heck is going on? 
Well, it's uh, it still looks uh, uh, very much like the Russians remain in disarray on the battlefield. They're they're getting close to taking the southern port city of Mariupol. That's that's true, but the, they're re, regrouping in the north, uh, uh, and it's it's hard to say what comes next. There are a lot of reports of new Russians coming in, especially the Wagner Group, which is this paramilitary force they've used elsewhere in the world. Uh, so it, it, the situation on the battlefield remains uncertain, and I, I think what that means is no prospect of a negotiated settlement anytime soon. Now, this uh, Roman Abramovich, one of the so-called oligarchs, got fantastically rich during the Yeltsin years in the 1990s, uh, found himself the subject of European Union and American sanctions a few weeks ago because of his coziness with the Kremlin. Uh, and he had volunteered to try and be a mediator between Ukrainian and Russian negotiators. And, you know, if we can um, credit these press stories, uh, he and, and the Ukrainian side basically got some kind of poison in a meal. Uh, and, you know, this is uh, the, the Russians have done this before with Alexei Navalny, uh, with the Skripals in uh, in Great Britain, uh, with, with any number of people who have suddenly had uh, real problems, including uh, President Yushchenko of uh, of Ukraine, when he was a candidate, was poisoned and disfigured from whatever the the poison was. Ultimately, became president, but uh, but severely hurt by this. So it it looks like the Russians continue to use whatever means they have at uh, at, at their hand, and and are still determined to keep plugging along despite the massive failures on the military side they had in the first month of the campaign. And when we're talking about this poisoning, people, their skin was peeling off their faces. Their eyes are burning. This is not food poisoning. This is life or death type of poisoning. So what does this tell you, Ambassador Bolton, that Putin has no, he, he, he's, he does sort of diplomacy and that he doesn't no, care. He, does, how- he doesn't want opposition. Uh, this is one of his oligarchs, one of them, uh, wasn't it, uh, Ambassador? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And this, this, uh, if I can, this make an important point about oligarchs. People have said, well, they're unhappy. Their 500 foot yachts have been seized because of Western sanctions and so on. And, and they're a force against Putin. This, this is not true. In Putin's Russia today, unlike Yeltsin's Russia of the 1990s, the oligarchs, the oligarchs are not separate power centers. They are subordinate to the Russian state. They, they make enormous amounts of money. But their assets are really not theirs. They belong to the state, in effect, at their beck and call. So they, these people, they, maybe they don't like having Great Britain or the United States seize their 500-foot yacht. But if they turn against Putin, he will seize their 500-foot yacht. No, he'll, he'll just kill them. I mean, uh, I, I got a well, description. that's another alternative. The, that's right. The oligarchs have as much power as the cardinals have to the pope. Um, that that's yeah. Well, that's a comparison. All right. I mean, it's it's they're subordinate. To, they're subordinate to Putin. Maybe subordinate. Maybe they're vassals to the czar would be a way to put it. But that, yeah. that's exactly right. They're, they're not independent power centers. Well, Rudy Washington, you had a question. You had a question, Rudy? Yeah. I, I Former was, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington. Hello, Ambassador. Um, I'm more concerned about the geopolitical picture. Um, what I see the president doing in terms of this Iranian deal. Um, is ushering in the next Middle East war. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, speak with uh, President Bibi Netanyahu, and he convinced me, you know, that if, in fact, they get close to a nuclear bomb, in which they already are close, they're going to attack. And given what happened with the Abraham Accords and Saudi Arabia and, and Israel developing some type of back backdoor relationship, um, 
that explains to me why they won't take uh, President Biden's phone call, the the Saudis, uh, to try to help with his oil problem. But I'm more concerned that by signing an agreement with Iran, in fact, they're opening the door for the next Middle East war that will be really ugly. And and bringing Russia to the table to broker the deal in China, I'm scratching my head. I mean, are, are we so married to the dogma of of not using our energy that we're willing to uh, negotiate with despots like Venezuela and Iran? Well, I, I agree with you entirely. I mean, I think this pursuit of getting back into the 2015 nuclear deal with Iran is a huge mistake we've made. The 2015 deal was bad enough in and of itself, uh, but we've made a year's worth of concessions to the Iranians. And, and now the, the uh, obviously making the deal even worse uh, and now the last hang-up is is their demand that uh, that we take the uh, uh, Revolutionary Guards off the list of foreign terrorist organizations where it was put during the Trump administration, which would be a huge retreat uh, and, and would free up uh, the Revolutionary Guards to engage in a lot of financial transactions that are not caught by other sanctions they're also under. So this whole thing has just become a question for the Iranians, how, how much more... Uh, they can squeeze out of the Biden administration. I, I think uh, when it when it's if, if they agree to it and it's finally made public, pe- people will be outraged at what they see. It's one reason why last week I wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post saying, "Look, if anything qualifies as a treaty under the Constitution, this is the kind of deal that the framers had in mind. It needs to be put to the Senate. It needs to meet the constitutional supermajority. Two thirds of the senators have to approve it." And if it doesn't, there's no deal. There's no national consensus. on it. I don't think Biden will do it, but I think we ought to raise the point. Without the executive branch, if the Republicans were able to take control of the Senate and the Congress, is there any way they could nullify this deal? No, but they can. The Senate in particular can use its other major constitutional power and not approve any of Biden's nominees, judicial or executive. The Senate has two key unique powers, the confirmation power and the treaty ratification power. If Biden won't respect the treaty ratification power, they ought to use the confirmation power to stop his nominees. Maybe that'll get his attention. And and with the big uh, geopolitical picture, you know, we really fumbled the ball on this whole uh, Ukrainian situation because I thought if we handled it very firmly, it would have sent a message to China that they would not... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I think I think you're right. Look, I think uh, we, we can be pleased that the NATO alliance is united. We can be pleased we've got sanctions in place, although not enough. We and, and we're helping the Ukrainian military, although not enough. But let's let's be clear among ourselves as a lesson for future potential conflicts. We failed uh, to deter Putin from invading at all. That was the real objective. Uh, our sanctions, our threats of punishment weren't strong enough. Putin ignored them. We didn't have credibility. And then uh, last Thursday, Biden said that sanctions were never intended to deter Putin to begin with. I mean, I, I just was scratching my head at that. We, we, <laughs> we, 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 we were all scratching our heads. Amb- Ambassador Bolton, <laughs> what was your reaction to hearing what Biden said, that there needs to be a regime change? Putin's a butcher. He's a war criminal. He needs to be taken out. Then, then the his, White House, the other president, the White House, they walked uh, it back. George. And then he said just a short time ago, I didn't walk anything back. What are you guys talking about? What do you make of all of this, Ambassador? Well, look, it causes enormous confusion, obviously, here in the United States uh, and among our allies. And it's uh, it's going to delight the Russians because it makes it sound like it really is Biden's intention to overthrow Putin. Now, look, 
uh, there are two ways you can you can prevent the kind of conflict we're seeing in Ukraine now. Either you change Russian behavior or you change the regime. People don't like to talk about regime change. Uh, I understand that. But do you think Putin's really going to stop this behavior? He's going to change it elsewhere. If we had a serious policy about regime change in Russia, then I'd be prepared to talk about it. But it was just a flip off the cuff remark. And when you're president of the United States, those are very dangerous kinds of remarks to make. On a last note before we take a break, I said on Friday, uh, Ambassador, that uh, I don't care if Putin has $100 billion hidden away something. It didn't do Gaddafi any good. It didn't do Saddam Hussein any good. So I think he has to negotiate a peaceful thing with European community and with the United States for him to even exist in uh, in the next uh, couple of years. Well, I think uh, I think there will be a negotiation. Ultimately, I don't think Putin's ready at the moment. I think the Russian military has suffered such huge reputational damage that Putin has to find something that he can say and, and pass the smile test was a military victory. And if he can do that, and I think that's still possible, then I think he'll start to negotiate seriously. But he's not there yet. Thank you, Ambassador Bolton. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon to get additional updates. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. God bless. Uh, let's, take the, let's take the break right now. We're going to come back with... We're going to come back with, uh, we're going to talk amongst ourselves, right? With, no, 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 we oh, have, oh, uh, Benny, oh, Benny Basio. Benny Basio. He's a president of the Corrections Officers Benevolent got, Association, Rikers Islands. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. On the line for us right now, we have Benny Basio. He's the president of Corrections Officers Benevolent Association. Benny Basio, how are you? Hi, how's everybody doing? Appreciate you guys having me on. Benny, fill us in. What's going on at Rikers Island? Uh, would you fill in all New Yorkers? Because we got to keep our city safe, and it's uh, we're in a mess. Yeah, I mean, look, um, it's been the most difficult time to be a correction officer um, for us on Rikers Island. You know, we're hemorrhaging, and the city of New York expects us to do more with less. We've lost close to 2,800 officers in the last three years due to resignations and retirements. And in that time frame, only 75 officers have graduated from the Correction Academy, um, basically leaving us with nothing. Officers are working doubles, triple shifts in a very dangerous environment. We've had 1,500 correction officers assaulted in the last year, and things just seem to be getting worse uh, you know, by the day. Hey, Vinny, uh, what's the census now um, on Rikers Island? What's the population? We- that's, uh, that's Deputy Mayor, former Deputy Mayor uh, Rudy Washington. Hey, how are you, sir? Okay. Um, 5,700, uh, approximately 5,700 inmates. Okay, you know, during our years of, of 94 to 2001, uh, we peaked out at 19,000. Uh, you know, and, and the notion that we're going to build these, I call them portable jails, because they were only 4,000 beds. And and four boroughs, you know, never made any sense to me. I questioned Bill de Blasio about it. I, I, you know, I'm saying you can't be serious. I mean, you have a population of 19,000 at one point, and now you want to think that we could service that population with just 4,000 beds spread across the four boroughs? The the plan never made any sense to me. 
Uh, we have all the space we need on Rikers Island, uh, you know, and they need to man it up. 100%. They've let it rot, and, you know, they decided to close it, so they did not keep up with the infrastructure. And let's be real. You know, we live in a city with close to 9 million people. How are you going to cap out at the capacity of four borough jails with 3,400 inmates? That's the actual number, 3,400. I, you know, I just really don't understand. I mean, you think we have a crime problem? You well, know, there's in no, the grand scheme of things, 8.5 million New Yorkers. You have your own crime problem in Rikers Island. My God. But then, listen, yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna make Rudy. It's, it's Judge Benny. It's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Your other problem is if you put them into the local communities, you're gonna destabilize those communities, and you can't give the integrated services you that you can provide in Rikers. You won't be able to sell your house. What are you, what are you gonna advertise? I'm right next to a prison. And who's gonna pay for yeah. all of these buildings? What billions and billions of dollars when we well, have the budget all was eight billion dollars, ten billion, ten billion dollars, and nobody wants them in their communities. They need to rebuild right on Rikers Island. There's so much they can do on the 411 acres of land that's surrounded by water. If an inmate escapes, he's not getting off the island. If they escape in a borough facility, they're in the city of New York. In somebody's apartment. And, uh, you know, all I can say is, Mayor Adams, I hope you're listening in. I hope your your departments are are listening in. Uh, I think we're going to put our foot down and say, Let's let's leave them on Rikers Island. Enough is enough. You can't put them in on neighborhoods. I agree. I agree one hundred percent with that. And of course, the taxpayers a lot less money. And look, we cannot continue working this many hours a week of overtime. We need the city council to approve the budget to raise headcount. We need three thousand correction officers so that everybody on Rikers Island can be safe. Uh, Vinny, you know what's sad is. Why don't you tell everybody how long the academy is? Well, the academy is uh, four months. So um, so even if we were to hire, if we had a list ready to go today, the earliest you're going to be able to put them on and put them out in the field is what, uh, early fall? Um, you know, yes. You know, so yeah. it's, it's a tough situation And right although 5,700 inmates sounds like a lot to people, we have 8.5 million New Yorkers. You have Keyshawn Sewell, the P- police commissioner. She just went up to Albany. She went to go speak with Governor Hochul, Stuart Lee. They're not going to tell her, John, what did, what did they tell Mayor Adams to basically do? Pound sand. Pound sand. I mean, we, we and got... They t- and they told the governor to pound sand. They did. And Mayor Adams, he posted a video of it was a horrific video in the Bronx. A mom, 35 years old, walking down the stairs with her three year old son. And she's held up at gunpoint right in front of her son. And that guy is out already. I mean, this is why we need bail reform. We need more jail corrections officers. We need bigger facilities. With Inez Dinkins. And she didn't realize some of these things going on in our neighborhoods. And I said to her, let's put together a forum. Four assembly people, four state senators, and four business people to talk about this bail reform stuff. And how do we bring our city back? You're not New York City is not going to open up unless there's people feel safe. That's exactly right. The whole the whole experience is you have to have both the reality and the perception of safety. People are not going to come back to the city. 
You go, as I've said before, you go to Penn Station, it's a no man's land, it's dangerous, even the cops are afraid. You can't do that. Well, the cops don't go by themselves there. That's right. During, they walk around in groups. <laughs> Let's take that break. Oh, well, yes. Thank you so much, Benny Basio. And anything that you need, let us know. And, you know, we're just talking about the facts here. This is not about a, being a, a Republican, a Democrat, independent, whatever. This is just about keeping New Yorkers safe. Thank you Thank so you much, Benny, and we'll have you on again. And we're, we're on your side. We'll be side by side by, with you. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank have you. a good evening. Uh, I understand we got Frank Morano on the uh, uh, on the phone. And Frank is the other side of midnight, uh, Monday through Friday from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock. So all it's a live show for all of you that can't sleep at night. Tune in on WABC Radio, and it's the whole East Coast because it's the middle of the night, and we broadcast from the tip of Florida all the way to northern uh, Canada to northern Europe. And if you can't sleep at night, talk to Frank, and Frank will talk to you, mm-hmm. and that way you're not going to be alone. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to feel like alone. And now Frank has a show at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoons with, with, with what it was his best interview for the week. And it was real interesting. He's doing well. Uh, Frank well, Morano, tell us. Hello, John. Hello, Lydia. Hello, uh, Deputy Mayor uh, Washington. It's great to talk with all of you, and you I know, appreciate Ru- that warm introduction. I think, you know, about six grandfathers ago, you might have been related to uh, and George. Keep, and keep telling you, John. So, so got, I heard. So yeah, I heard. He We're going to build some statues. Yes. We're going to build some it's statues of you so that we can color. knock them down. <laughs> That's right. We're going to we're going to put up a, a statue next to George Washington and you on the on the right and him on the left. I want the Teddy I Roosevelt. I want the Teddy Roosevelt statue back. I want the Jefferson <laughs> statue love it, back. Judge. Frank Morano, uh, now you did a very interesting interview last week uh, and you replayed it on Saturday. Tell all the audience, give us the highlights and then tell us what else you're going to have on uh, to that tonight or in this week. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I appreciate you mentioning this, uh, John. I actually was overwhelmed at the amount of uh, correspondence I got from this interview that I played on Saturday. Dr. Michael Sala, who's a former political science professor, PhD in political science. But the last few years, he's been publishing books outside of what most people consider the mainstream of what's acceptable. He's focused on a field called exopolitics. And my interest in talking with him, John, is I'm obsessed with Star Trek. I, I can't get enough of this new Picard series. I've always been a Star Trek fan. It really has inspired a love of learning and, and a love a, of learning about space. A lot space. of the things that uh, happened on Star Trek ended up happening for real. Well, and, and that is... You made one mistake or the other day when you said on Next Generation, they found the iPads. But on, uh, uh, on Star Trek Voyager, they had iPhones. And this was, <laughs> this was like 10 years before the iPhone existed. Well, so throughout even the 1960s Star Trek, all the way to the present day, they always seem to be a little bit on the cutting edge of technology and a bunch of other things. Now, are they just good guessers, good, just good futurists? Well, Dr. Michael Sala says no, and he put forth this groundbreaking theory which people have not been able to stop talking about. And what he said was that um, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, 
actually had a business relationship with Leslie Stevens, who was the producer of The Outer Limits. Now, uh, that Leslie Stevens was the son of a U.S. Navy vice admiral, also named Leslie Stevens, who died in 1956. Now, uh, Vice Admiral Stevens was apparently, they oversaw a covert, not, not Navy espionage program out of Nazi Germany to learn about Nazi flying saucers during World War II. And so I'm not going to spoil the whole interview for you because we went into this for about an hour in some detail, and you could listen at WABCradio.com. But Admiral Stevens Stevens leaked. And what does the CIA usually do, intelligence agencies do? They tell them. Well, exactly right, John. They leak the intelligence agencies and many in the military to the media um, for sort of a slow drip of public approval. We've seen this as we've been following the latest what's happening with Russia and Syria and chemical weapons and things of that nature. So the theory that Salah put out was that Admiral Stevens told his son, um, either with the knowledge of the government or without the knowledge of the government, about some of the technology that the government was aware of and that his son, Leslie Stevens the Younger, told Roddenberry about this, and Roddenberry incorporated it into Star Trek with the hopes that whether it was aliens or different types of technology, that this would make the public more willingly accept things like that in the future. So he's written a series of books called Our Star Trek Future, and he's of the belief that that's why the logo of the new Space Force and the uniforms on the new Space Force are so similar to the uniforms that we see out of Star Trek. I know it sounds a little, our first goal is to entertain, but I'd really encourage people to listen to this interview with an open mind. Tonight, uh, we're going to dive headfirst into the disappearance where, where do you of- find, Where do you find the interview? Uh, the shortcut is you can go to fmwabc.com. You can also go to wabcradio.com and just search and go to uh, Frank Morano. It's right on there. Uh, but um, it, tonight we're going to dive headfirst into the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Every, we just celebrated International Women's Day. Uh, certainly we have a lot of great women here at the, the radio station, including the one that you're sitting beside right now. And uh, Amelia Earhart was a pioneer, but there are some interesting theories on her disappearance, and we're going to explore that in some detail. And this is a, a, a theory, the one that we're going to expose tonight with a re- researcher and filmmaker Todd Swindell, that I think a lot of our listeners may not have heard. Give us so a little tease. To Give us a little quick that. tease. What, what well, time? Uh, uh, that's going to be at, at 2.30 as part of our Morano so Mysteries your, segment. Well, he's okay. on from, Morano's on from 1 o'clock to Amelia 5 Earhart. o'clock. Set- Set your your alarm for two thirty and make sure you listen to Morano. I will be listening. And Morano's very humble. He has a number one show basically in, where in the country. In the country. Now, thank you both. Thank you both uh, for saying that. Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, thank you for being here. And uh, Rudy Washington, former deputy mayor, thank you. Lydia Serrani, thank you. And and God bless all our li- listeners. God bless our our uh, our viewers. No. What else? Americans, uh, New God Yorkers. God bless New York. God bless America. We and need God. Help. The Ukrainians. Keep, keep going to that donation page in WABCradio.com for the donation page to help the Ukrainians. Please. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.